0: tiny borough of Sugar Notch in Luzerne County reached the height of its population in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, when hundreds of men were employed in the local mines owned by the Lehigh and Wilkes-Barre Coal Company, while hundreds more were employed at the neighboring Warrior Run Colliery. These miners, most of whom were immigrants, often had a difficult time adjusting to their new homeland, and, as a result, murders, violent crimes, and suicides often precipitated by domestic troubles, financial hardships, and strong liquor, were a common occurrence. Sugar Notch was also home to a 300-foot-wide swamp, which stood just north of the borough and west of the DuPont Powder Company's dynamite sheds and railroad siding. This swamp played a role in a strange mystery in December of 1915, when the headless body of a man was found entombed in ice. On Sunday, December 12, 1915, a group of boys from the borough of Ashley decided to go ice skating at the swamp. One of the boys, Fred Adams, had just laced up his skates and was gliding across the frozen swamp when he saw something sticking out of the ice. As he skated closer, he saw that it was an old pair of shoes. But upon closer observation, the boy was startled to discover that the shoes were on a very rotted pair of feet. The boys raced to the DuPont barns, where they obtained assistance, and the body was cut from the ice and laid atop the frozen surface. Much to everyone's horror, the head was missing. Believing that they had stumbled onto a crime scene, it was decided that the body would not be touched until the arrival of the Hanover Township Police and Coroner Marley. This provided an opportunity for one enterprising and steel-nerved newspaper reporter to make his own examination of the corpse. After darkness had fallen, the reporter, accompanied by undertaker John Mooney, visited the swamp. Armed with lanterns, The two men found their way to the body by following the ruts left by the blades of the boys' skates. The body was near the center of the swamp, about 150 feet from the roadway. The grisly scene was described in newspapers. The corpse lay just as it had been taken from the water. Only the protruding feet gave evidence of anything more than a cake of ice. Because of the condition of the body and because the clothing was frozen into the ice, it was impossible to make a thorough examination. From what could be seen, the head had been severed a short distance above the neck. About one and one-half inches of brown hair remained. The suit was of black or blue serge. There was no overcoat, which may be an indication that the body has been in the swamp before the beginning of cold weather. There was, however, a suit of extra-heavy underclothing, these were in splendid condition, looking almost new. In fact, the shoes, which were like tan, were practically new. In the rear pocket of the dead man's trousers, the only pocket accessible due to the frozen condition of the body, was found a blue handkerchief and a double-bladed pocket knife. The body, covered in a three-inch glaze of ice, was in an unusual position, with the arms and legs outstretched. Probing the hole from which the icy corpse had been cut, it was discovered that there was only about one foot of water between the thick ice and the bottom. Undertaker Mooney and the newspaper reporter concluded that this could only have been a case of foul play, as the water would have been too shallow for death to have been caused by drowning. They also ruled out an accident, as numerous dead tree stumps poked through the surface, and it would have made it impossible for a man to make it that far into the swamp by accident. To the newspaper reporter, the location seemed like an ideal place to hide a murder victim. The authorities arrived early the following morning. They were not completely sold on a murder theory, however. Although they searched for the head for hours without success, they believed that it might have become detached through the decomposition process. Until the body could be thawed at Mooney's undertaking parlor, it would be impossible to determine if the victim had suffered other injuries. One of the workers in the DuPont Powder Works, Grant Shaner, recalled that, about a month earlier, he had heard three gunshots at around 10 o'clock in the evening. Because of the remote location and lateness of the hour, this struck Shayner as being unusual, though he did not report this matter to anyone at the time. Police also scoured missing persons reports, trying to find someone whose clothing might fit the description of the clothing worn by the man frozen in ice. Undertaker Mooney believed that the body had been in the water for about three months, but the most promising clue was what he had found inside the pocket of the man's vest, a lady's pocket watch and chain. The watch was stopped at five forty. Eight weeks before the skaters made their chilling discovery, a shoemaker from nearby Warrior Run named Anthony Kozlarik disappeared under strange circumstances. Kozlarik and his wife operated a boarding house, and quarrels ensued after Anthony claimed that his wife had been intimate with two of the boarders, one of whom was a man named Tia Phil Sargal. After one particularly heated argument, Kozlarik threw the two men out of his home. He disappeared later that night, never to be seen again. Sargol and the shoemaker's wife were questioned by police after Anthony's cousin, John Gustinski, went to Chief of Police John Killeen and reported that he hadn't seen or heard from Anthony in several days, and that he had heard his cousin mention that he was afraid of his own wife. Killeen and his son visited the Kozlaric home, where they found that Mrs. Kozlaric had allowed the two boarders to move back into the house. They also found a bloody axe. The missing man's wife claimed that she had used the axe to slaughter chickens, and had shown the men bloody feathers as proof. Chief of Police Killeen was satisfied by this explanation, at least until the discovery of the headless corpse at Sugar Notch Swamp. After the discovery, Mrs. Kuzlarik was questioned again, and told authorities that Anthony had been wearing a gray suit, a rubber raincoat, and slippers when he had left the house several weeks earlier. This, of course, was nothing like the clothing found on the frozen body. But by this time there's no doubt that the shoemaker's wife had already read about the description of the clothing worn by the man in the swamp. Is it possible that one or both of her lovers had cut off Anthony's head and thrown his body into the swamp, and that Mrs. Kozlarik had lied to the authorities? Because the headless corpse was in such an advanced state of decomposition, it was impossible for any of Anthony Koslaric's friends or relatives to make a positive identification at the morgue, and the rotting remains were buried. As for Mrs. Koslaric, she and her new lover left Warrior Run in April of 1916 and moved to nearby Moconoqua. They later married. Pennsylvania Oddities will return after this brief message.
1: When I want to hear stories about the odd and bizarre, I listen to the Pennsylvania Oddities podcast. But when I want to buy something that's odd and bizarre, I go to www.shopphantasmagoria.com.
0: Phantasmagoria Antiques and Oddities is an online oddity store showcasing hand-selected items from some of the darker and stranger parts of history.
1: Phantasmagoria buys and sells rare and unique items from the Victorian era up to the swinging 60s.
0: From medical oddities and rare books to fine photography, artwork, and one-of-a-kind decor items, Phantasmagoria has got something for every taste, so long as it's a taste for the bizarre.
1: Visit www.shopphantasmagoria.com and be sure to follow at Phantasmagoria Oddities on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest to stay on top of the new items as they arrive. International shipping is also available.
0: Phantasmagoria is where I go to add to my own personal collection of oddities, and you should too.
1: That's That's www.shopphantasmagoria.com.
0: Besides the warrior run shoemaker, there was another local missing man whom detectives believe might have been the same man found in Sugar Notch Swamp. On March 31, 1915, 17 year old William Cupstis left the home of his uncle, Simon Koslowski, in Wilkesbury after an argument. He stayed at the Salvation Army barracks until April 7, which was the last day he was seen alive. Incidentally, this was the same day that an unknown assailant fired a gun through the window of the Kozlowski home on Kent Lane. The bullet struck Simon in the jaw, though he made a full recovery. But what if William Cupstis had been the one who had fired the shot? Perhaps he had been laboring under the impression that the wound his uncle received was fatal. If so, it's possible that he could have taken his own life out of remorse, Detectives William Moyles and P.J. Connolly believed this was the case, and had the remains of the swamp corpse exhumed and re-examined. Inside one of the dead man's pockets, they found a money-order receipt made out to William Cupstis, and a newspaper clipping featuring a picture of a house which had once belonged to William's father. Two friends of Cupstis positively identified the watch found in a dead man's vest pocket as belonging to William and it was reported that the mystery of the Sugarnatch Swamp had been solved. Detectives believed that the teenager had shot himself through the mouth, which unhinged his skull and led to its separation from the rest of the body. However, there are some things about this explanation that raise serious questions. The Koslowski home on Kent Lane is four miles from the swamp. While not an overly grueling journey on foot, there are plenty of more readily accessible places for an enterprising young man to take his life. The Susquehanna River is only a mile away from the Koslowski home, while the South Street Bridge, which crossed the Lehigh and Susquehanna Railroad Yard and the North Branch Canal, was just a few blocks to the north. Why would a man hell bent on self destruction ignore a river, a canal, a high bridge, and busy railroad tracks to end his life in a tiny swamp four miles away? And if such a journey was made on foot, how does this explain the like new condition of the tan shoes found on the corpse? Also, since Custis was lodged at the Salvation Army and essentially penniless at the time of his disappearance, how would he have obtained new shoes? The remote location of the swamp made it virtually unknown to those outside of Warrior Run and Sugar Notch, and the fact that the body was found almost exactly in the middle of the swamp seems to rule out suicide. The swamp, after all, was only about a foot deep, and there were no currents to move the body. And how did delicate scraps of paper, like a newspaper clipping and a money order receipt, manage to survive nine months in stagnant marshy water? why was Cupstis carrying a lady's watch? Also, despite a massive search of the swamp, the gun which police believed Cupstis had used to shoot his uncle and then shoot himself in the head was never found. Interestingly, after the remains were exhumed, they were also viewed by Anthony Kozlaric's cousin, John Gostinsky, who identified a prayer book found inside one of the pockets as one belonging to the missing shoemaker. Unfortunately, after the book had been dried out, the signature on the page was too illegible to establish the owner's identity, though Gostinsky insisted that the signature was that of his cousin. While hunting bullfrogs at Sugar Notch Swamp on July 28, 1916, a party of two men and two boys found a skull while prodding the mud with a stick. Chauncey Walliser and Garfield Booth, both of Sugar Notch, were the ones who found the skull. John and Ziggy Chernesky, two local boys, were with them. Knowing that the skull was probably the one long sought after by detectives, the party took the skull to the Number 9 Colliery and notified the authorities, who, in turn, presented it to the coroner, Dr. C.L. Ashley. Coroner Ashley declared that the skull was that of teenager William Cupstis. There were no signs of damage caused by a gunshot, though there was a darkening of a part of the skull that was a possible indication of blunt force trauma. This would seem to suggest murder rather than suicide. When the investigation failed to provide any further clues, the case was closed and the matter soon forgotten. While the area around the swamp was eventually developed in the name of progress, a remnant of a swamp still exists behind a warehouse on New Commerce Boulevard, it played a role in not one, but two Luzerne County Mysteries. Who killed William Cupstis, And whatever became of the missing shoemaker, Anthony Kozlarik? Unfortunately, both of these baffling mysteries are destined to remain unsolved. Pennsylvania Oddities. If you enjoyed this podcast, pick up a copy of my newest book, Pennsylvania Oddities, Volume 3, available now at www.sunverypress.com. Volume 3 features 30 remarkable but true stories from every corner of the Keystone State. And be sure to visit my blog, paoddities.blogspot.com, for over 600 bizarre tales of murder and mystery from the colonial era to the present day. The Pennsylvania Oddities podcast is written, produced, and narrated by Marlon Bressy. Theme music composed by Marlon Bressy. Sound effects courtesy of freesound.org. Listen to the Pennsylvania Oddities podcast on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you find your favorite program. New episodes on the first and fifteenth of every month.